0: Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. This is Chris Sands, and you are listening to The Leading Edge, backed by one of the most powerful professional community platforms, TechGC, which started as a lunch in New York with a group of general counsels and is now leading as a vital peer resource for in-house lawyers operating in high-growth tech industries. It's great to have an extension of our values around peer learning through this podcast, where we can mesh entrepreneurial and legal minds towards the most exciting tech trends, while identifying important business elements that are often left out of the mainstream. Today is part three of the blockchain series. The earlier parts in the series discuss blockchain as the third evolution of the internet and blockchain's emergence through an unstable global financial system. In today's episode, we will discuss the path to blockchain usability through community. I'm joined by Brinley Lear, the general counsel of Cello, which is a full-stack blockchain platform that makes financial tools accessible for anyone with a phone. They have raised over $30 million, led by investors such as A16 and Polychain. I met Brinley years ago. At the time, I was recruiting for fintech companies in San Francisco. She had just left PayPal as an in-house lawyer and was just about to accept her next role as general counsel for blockchain company Ripple. Back then, I shared with her my idea of starting a podcast. And though quite delayed, it's really great to come full circle and see how much Brinley has immersed herself into the world of crypto. One of the many things I've admired about Brinley is her emphasis on integrity in her work. So without further delay, let's go to my convo with Brinley Lear. Brinley, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. You know, I like this idea of product zeitgeist fit. I think A16 may have coined this. And it's the idea of a product fitting into a larger macro trend. And one of these trends we could say is crypto and blockchain. And you know it's a zeitgeist because despite any real adoption, it has been a rising focus over the last decade it'll be interesting to discuss why, despite public interest, that the widespread use of blockchain is not already here. You're currently the general counsel at Celo, and I'd like to get to know what's unique about that role in this type of industry, but Celo has been recognized as effectively navigating the usability problem with blockchain in particular. Could you give some insight into what Celo is building, why, and the usability problem with blockchain?
1: Let's go to this key point of usability and what's happening right now in the industry. It has been out there for 10 plus years, if you're talking about Bitcoin, five plus years, if you're talking about Ethereum or other projects like XRP. It's been around for a long time. And yet we haven't seen a lot of adoption, even though what it can solve is something really, really interesting and transformative. It is a way to streamline transactions where you can connect people easily, inexpensively, where they couldn't be connected before. And they have trust that that transaction has happened. I mean, that's really transformative. That's really the basis of our financial systems. It's what creates this platform for things like developing credit and having these opportunities to borrow money, all of these things that are great for economies to flourish. So that's what we're talking about. So why hasn't it just organically taken off? And I think there are many reasons, but we can really look at two. One is usability. You think about the technology that's really taken off, whether that's WhatsApp or Facebook or all of these things, they're designing for usability first and they're designing for that adoption. So here we have usability. And now this latest push to really go into how we can make this technology accessible to individuals using a smartphone.
0: And this is part of the mission of Cello.
1: So the project that I'm working on now, Cello, it is looking at a full stack blockchain solutions, but there's something else that we work on, and that is an application layer. So we're really thinking about that last mile, that delivery. How do you get people to understand and to be able to use this technology and not only to use it, but to make it their own?
0: And if I wanted to add code to the platform, how does that really work effectively?
1: The coding is, it's open. So a request to change the code can come from anywhere. It will go through an on-chain governance process. It will be implemented or not depending on what the group wants to do and how they vote. So that's the first thing in terms of ongoing coding. That's really a community-driven exercise. And it's community-driven in order to be able to vote and to make contributions. Of course, you need to have some skin in the game. That means you have to hold some of the native asset. These become the really interesting parts of the system where you think about how do you incentivize the different stakeholders? How do you make sure that you are encouraging good behavior and disincentivizing bad behavior? So there's a whole economics part of it, behavioral economics part of it that's built in. So the coding, that's collective. How someone might engage with that blockchain, it's going to be different. Some people may just want to use a stable value asset as a medium of exchange. They want to have a mobile first experience where they're sending money back and forth, they're paying for things, they're really just using it. And then you think about in that community. You could also have folks that want to build applications on top of this platform and they're free to do that too because it's all open.
0: So I want to touch on something you just mentioned, which is stable value assets. Because for me, stable coins seem to be the only way for near-term adoption of blockchain. I had Brian Brooks of Coinbase on the podcast recently and he was talking about stable coins being the fax machine of crypto. Back when email just didn't make sense for anybody, the fax machine was a gateway to email. The same is likely true in getting to a place where currency is simply an algorithm. I would just argue that's a really long way out. I say this because currency is fundamentally trust. And the thing about trust is it's very hard to gain and very easy to lose, which makes me think if a truly decentralized system is going to work, it has to start with community. I use X currency because my trusted community exchanges goods and services with it. Do you agree that community is paramount here?
1: This is exactly the beauty of putting together the different building blocks of this blockchain. Because the idea is, yes, it could work really well in a community that is designed for that community, just as it can work well if it is used for cross-border payments and there are apps developed to do cross-border payments. It can work for both. And the idea is to have it be flexible enough that it can work for both. I mean, some really interesting things that we're seeing around the world now, and these are not new things, but this idea of how do you revitalize a community? How do you bring prosperity to a community? We see all of these really interesting movements happening to buy locally, to support local businesses, to bring prosperity to your community, right? That's important. It continues to be important. And there are different projects that are creating local currency outside the blockchain realm, something like the Bristol Pound that has been around for a long time. It's this idea of a local currency to encourage the economic growth and development and reinvestment into something to be local. And the thing is, yes, you could use everything that we've talked about with the blockchain, the protocol, the platform and the applications you may want to build on it. You could absolutely create it to be very unique to your community. In fact, what we're touching on is something that is really big and that is once currency becomes technology. Once that happens, you can design it for all sorts of things, right? It now is really open to be programmed to exactly what you want it to do. So can it be local? Absolutely. And this is an open protocol where if there is a group that wants to create their own stable currency based on resources that that community values, it can do that. It is fully programmable. Now, this is now thinking way out. And what the world looks like when this is happening is a pretty different world. And I think what could be a really beautiful world in many ways, the pieces are there.
0: Yeah, I envision a similar world and look forward to it. Though I think it's important to distinguish much of the crypto hype versus crypto reality. The crypto hype being that this world is right around the corner. The psychological transformation required to shift public trust into a fundamentally different currency system will take a really long time. I think the value of cryptocurrency will be determined over time through the credibility of communities, however small or large. This makes me incredibly bearish on Bitcoin as a long-term stable asset. In fact, I think we are at the beginning of a major bull market in gold because crypto is just not ready for prime time. And most would agree we are currently in a shaky geopolitical system. Let's shift gears, though, and we can close on this. What is it like being a lawyer in this area? What do you focus on? What is the general value that a lawyer brings to the table when thinking about scaling crypto and blockchain globally?
1: I think the short answer is it really ties to advocacy, So yes, you're going to be doing all of the standard things that you do as a lawyer for any company. Yes, you're managing the IP portfolio. Yes, you're managing board minutes and corporate form documents and HR and all of the things that you typically would, your contracts. But also you're thinking about, okay, what is the benefit of this technology? How do we pitch it? How do we educate regulators? How do we match this up with a long tradition of how we thought about money laundering and regulation and all of these things? How do we rethink those? Well, you don't rethink those concepts. Those are still concerns. How do we address those concerns, but with this new technology? How do you bring some comfort to the regulator, but also really show the opportunity that this might bring to jurisdictions around the world, people around the world? I mean, the need is real, and that's helpful because that tells a lot of the story.
0: This has been part three of the blockchain series. If you liked it, please rate and review us on your podcast app. Once again, I'm Chris Sands, and thanks for tuning in.